This episode of Ben the Knee is brought to you by our bannermen, Lord Jason of House Ross, Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, Master of the Web, Lady Dawn of House Wright, Sir Chris of House Farber, Lady Tracy of House Fa, Sir Peter of House Whittingham, Sandy the Dragon, Blood of Queen Daenerys and Lady of Jameson, Lord John of House Fry, Lady Juliana of House Stradley, Sir David of House Fraser, Lady Liz of House Hendricks, Sir Matthew of House Perry, Lady Madeline of House Fritzel, Lady Adrian of House Dillard, Lady Ashley of House Gardner, Lady Lismalin of House Morales. This episode of Bend the Knee is protected by Sir Ryan of House Turbush, Lady Sarah the Unraveler. Our current champion is Lady Kira of House Arnold. Our current Master of Coin is Lord Jason of House Ross. Squire to Sir Matt, Lady Betsy of House Hudson. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra, the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we're into Tyrion 13 of A Clash of Kings. And in our Raven, we will be talking about Lem, Lem and Cloak. Yes, as uh, both of us back from vacation, it was good. Uh, rested, but you know what? Yeah. As, as fun as our vacations were, we're fired up and ready to go. Okay, because today we're talking Tyrion and, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think it's called, it's, it's called recency bias as, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Recency bias is where you tend to view something, you know, more recent. So for us, that's season eight. That's kind yeah. of, eh, you, eh, you think about the TV show. Right. Man, you and I just went back and watched... Uh, some of you know, we just watched the clip of Tyrion's speech that that comes in the book. We just watched it, the scene on YouTube. It's pretty sick. It <laughs> like, is I'm not gonna sick. lie, man. I know, it is, dude. I I was ready to pick up my sword and follow Tyrion into battle. I was like, I was like, he was he's literally was like, yeah. those are some brave men outside knocking on our door, but let's go kill them. I was like, let's freaking go, man. Yeah. Like. Oh, it's sick! It was a good speech. They're scared. They're scared, and they're and they're there, and they're saying that's the only way out of the gate. And Tyrion, everyone's looking around. The Hound is gonna leave, and Tyrion, small little Tyrion, I'll lead it. Mm-hmm. I'll lead the attack. Yeah, I'll lead it. It's, 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 it's like you know, you call me a half man, right? And they're like walking away. He's like, "What does that make you?" And I'm like, "Oh, jeez, yeah. dude! Like, it is a sick little scene." And it makes you, like you said, it takes you back and you're like, okay, this is why I loved the show. This is, this is one of those moments in the show where we, you were watching and you saw that episode and you're like, holy smokes, this show is good. So good. So many good moments, but mm-hmm. yeah. I know. Just making me think a little bit about the Reigns of Castamere and I'm like, you know, hey, not a half bad song. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> Everyone's like, okay, here, here yeah, we go. Right. Again, recency bias. When we think of the reigns of Castamere, I think we think Red Wedding. But, you know. Right. True. True. Sometimes you got to think about Tyrion instead. Yeah. 
yeah, it's it's this is a cool chapter. I mean, we're right in the heat of all of uh, you know this this Clash of Kings, this big battle that happens at King's Landing, um, and yeah, we're gonna see Tyrion kind of step up here and have a have a moment, which is cool. Um, but that he gets no credit for later. But whatever. I mean, it's still cool to us, the reader. From Varys, he does. He still gets. From some, he does yeah. get some credit from Varys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So all right, we'll, we'll get is, into that. It, yeah. Yeah, we'll get. Yeah. We'll save that. We'll save all that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, dude. How you doing, man? You doing good? Oh, dude, I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, doing doing great. Got back from uh, Costa Rica. I was down in Costa Rica, so some of you guys um, saw that over on my story at uh, Womprat underscore two M on social media. Make sure you follow me there and follow Super Gains Bros over on his so- social media as well. Uh, check us out when we're because I might be going on vacation again. Um, doesn't mean the podcast is ceasing. I'm just taking the podcast with me to a different location. Uh, so you have to kind of follow me there to, to check that out, but I'm good. Uh, I survived and I'm happy to be back, um, and fired up and ready to go, ready to go for, we're going to have another Bannerman, um, hangout soon coming up in the next month or so. Uh, so we're going to announce that. So Matt and I just talked about that before we started the show. So we're going to get that going, but I'm feeling great. I'm feeling motivated, pumped. And there's like this new, like house of the dragon news. There's, there's news coming out for, um, the other fandoms that we're interested in, so it's a good time. It's a good time, mid midsummer, and uh, I'm looking forward to all this, uh, you know, cool kind of nerdy stuff we got coming out. How you doing, man? You doing all right? Uh, dude, I'm doing good. I went on vacation to Ohio. Got to see some family. Got to hang out. As and I were going to hang out that Thursday night before you flew out, but my flight was delayed like twice, and Chicago's a long, long story, man. Yeah. Did you know that if it's thunderstorming, they will not let you off of the plane? What? Even really? if your plane's landed. Yeah, they won't let you off. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Uh, d- yeah. Did you know? Remember I called you from the hotel in Costa Rica, and I was switching my flight. Instead of going to Florida, yeah. I was going to go to Houston. That flight, as of that Friday, it was like three days later, hadn't left Canceled. Florida. Yeah, because of the hurricane. Like, it got to Florida. Crazy couldn't leave florida for like three days i was like wow yeah gosh hey anybody who's in florida hope you're doing okay man because it it's been getting it's storming there especially in miami that building that collapsed so much crazy geez so much just crazy stuff going on down there in florida yeah craziness but (sighs) well but you're but you're you're but you're back but you're you're back from costa rica i'm back from ohio um and uh, since then, not a lot of Game of Thrones news, unfortunately. Uh, we did get some casting, right? We did. We talked about that. We did. A, we did. A, we did a YouTube video on that. We did get uh, two new cast members added, um, and they're going to be younger versions of Alice at Hightower, Princess Rhaenyra. So that's going to be cool. So we're going to be getting some flashbacks. So we don't have to dive into all that again, but we did do a YouTube video on that. You can check that out. But it's cool. Just sort of. We talked a little bit about it in our in our YouTube video about, you know, one of the things we've been saying is when when is this thing going to start? Right. We know how this we know the uh, the dance of the dragons ends, but we just don't know because there's such a big time gap. It's like 14 years or something where you could really start it. And so now that we're going to know we're going to get them as younger. OK, now you can fill in some of those holes and show us some of those cool moments, which ultimately ends up leading towards uh, the dance of the dragons. Yeah, I think that's a really cool way to do it. And I thought I was happy to see those that those two casting announcements just because uh, and we talked about this in our video, but you have older actors who you could either age up or you could de-age or whatever you, you need to do with some of the 
um, other men who are around Alicent Hightower or around Rhaenyra. And now you have these younger actresses who we can go back and kind of, you know, see what it was like to be Rhaenyra as the, as you know, at court um, and being doted on and being held up as the heir apparent. And then Alicent going clear back to her time with the old king and then her father's been at court for a long time. So there's just a lot that you, you kind of want to understand the dynamics between the high towers trying to get close to power and what's going on in the Targaryen family as well. So it's interesting because the high towers are really not, you know, in a game of Thrones uh, prevalent at all. We don't really talk about them much in the, in the show uh, bigger deal, maybe going to be in the books. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was kind of, kind of neat that we're going to be able to focus on that family more. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. Yes. I mean, do you want, do you want to do a Raven first or we just want to dive in because of, uh, you know, yeah. where we're going to be going. I think we're gonna be talking a lot about Tyrion today. Yeah. So... Yeah. We'll dive in. We'll just, just get after the, this, this chapter because we were fired up about the speech and we're back in the last time with Davos, you know, we saw, I mean, ships were on fire. The chain came up. You couldn't get out of there. And yeah, it was not not looking good. And now we get to switch the point of view and focus in on Tyrion and King's Landing. And it's still not. And it's still not looking good. Right? Right. That's yep. what's sort of crazy about this is, you know, you go from all these different perspectives and the next chapter um, is a Sansa chapter and things look even more grim. And so it's just kind of crazy to see, to get all of these different perspectives. And this is something that's really cool that you get three totally different perspectives, right? You start on the outside of where the battle is going to be taking place, moving in to the defending line to inside the city, right? Sort mm -hmm. of, sort of crazy. Um, so yeah, so this time we are into Tyrion 13 of A Clash of Kings. So Tyrion is standing on top of the Mudgate and he watches motionlessly as half of Stannis' fleet is ablaze in the Blackwater Rush, along with most of King Joffrey's ships. Seems like the river itself is on fire. The air is full of smoke, arrows, and screams. The wildfire is drifting downstream towards ships that desperately but futilely try to escape. The low-hanging clouds reflect the green glow, creating an eerily beautiful scenery. Tyrion is reminded of Dragonfire and wonders whether he will fe uh, he feels the same way as Aegon the Conqueror did when he watched the Fields of Fire. He is captivated and can't turn away, although he realizes that this is only half a victory and that the celebrations of the gold cloaks behind him are premature. Tyrion sees another ship loaded with wildfire exploding, and he has to shield his eyes. Hundreds of people are dying in the water, either burning to death or drowning. He thinks of Stannis, who might be sitting on his warhorse amongst the mass of people on the southern bank of the Blackwater, watching the same spectacle. Tyrion he hears King Joffrey huddled amongst the king's the, the guard on the walks below, complaining about the fate of his fleet. As the Kingslander, Queen Cersei, and Loyal Man are already burning, and Seaflower is about to be engulfed in flames as well. He advises his nephew that there was no alternative to sacrificing the own, uh, their own fleet, thinking by himself that Stannis would have sensed the trap. If the royal fleet had not come forward for battle, Bronn's position under the Red Keep is too far away for Tyrion to see anything. But the sellsword must have set the oxen into motion the second Stannis' flagship had passed 
and the enormously heavy chain was pulled by the winches, creating a barrier that now prevents most of the ships from escaping the wildfire. Some do, however. As Tyrion observes with dismay, while the main channel of the Blackwater is all aflame, the north and south banks are not, as the wildfire has not spread as evenly as Tyrion hoped. A good part of Sanus's ships have made for the southern side of the Blackwater, from where they can bring the enemy troops across later on. While at least eight ships have already landed under the city wall, putting men ashore, Sanus's main host might need some time to regain their courage after watching the jade holocaust that has absorbed so many of their fellows but when they start to attack again the risk of the city forces uh, breaking will be acute as lord jocelyn bywater has warned Tyrion. seeing shapes moving across the charred ruins of the city's wharves he sends out uh he sends order to lord jocelyn to make another sortie against the, the soldiers coming ashore he also commands to Sir Arnold to swing the three whores uh, 30 degrees west. King Joffrey brings up that his mother uh, has promised him that he could see uh, use the, the catapults and Tyrion allows him to go through with his plan for the antler men. When uh, they were brought before the king for justice, Joffrey promised them that he would send them back to Stannis. The traitors are now naked and trussed up the square, antlers nailed to their heads, and Joffrey intends to catapult the bodies over the city wall in Stannis's direction. Tyrion tells Joffrey to proceed swiftly, as the great whores will be needed for other things soon. As the happy king is about to leave, escorted by members of his Kingsguard, Tyrion orders Sir Osmond Kettleblack uh, that they should keep Joffrey safe under any circumstances, but keep him among the defenders. He wonders whether Cersei will be true to her promise to protect Aliaya the way he protects Cersei's wretched bastard son. Tyrion gets word that hundreds of enemies have landed on the tourney grounds to prepare for uh, battering down the King's Gate with a ram. He curses, hurries to his horse, followed by Podrick Payne and Sir Mandon Moore. He gallops through the river row, uh, kept clear of traffic on Tyrion's command to allow movement between the gates towards the King's Gate. When he arrives there, the ram is already in place outside and crashing against the wood. Some of the defenders on the gatehouse square are wounded, but Tyrion spots a good many sellswords and knights who are not. He orders another sortie, asking who is in charge. Sandor Clegane steps forward and objects to Tyrion's order, dropping his helmet to the ground. His face is covered in blood from a gash on his forehead, and his left ear is sheared off. Tyrion insists on a sortie, but the hound tells him to bugger um, that to bugger that and bugger himself. A sellsword seconds Clegane, explaining that three sorties left half of the men wounded or dead. Tyrion sarcastically asks him whether he thinks he has been hired to fight an attorney. He repeats his order, addressing the Hound in particular, but then is shocked to notice that Clegane is actually scared. He changes his tactics and tries to coax the men into action, but Clegane is adamant that he will not lead the men into the fire again. He suggests to open the gate instead and kill the enemies when they rush inside. Sir Mandan advises him to obey the order of the Hand of the King, but the Hound just curses Tyrion some more, then asks for wine. Clegane's face is as white as milk, and Tyrion thinks he's dead on feet, worn out by the battle and his terror of fire. 
even worse, the hound's fear has shaken the will of those he commands. Tyrion is looking around for another man to put in charge, but dismisses his own idea of using Sir Mandon, as he remembers a comment by his brother Jamie that Sir Mandon is not the kind of men others would follow. He hears another crash of the ram and announces that he will lead the charge and of the sortie himself, thinking to himself that this is madness, but madness is better than defeat. The hound laughs at the suggestion with contempt, but Tyrion gives orders to prepare the attack. However, only 20 men respond to his call when the others follow Clegane's example. Sitting on his horse with his helmet and shield, Tyrion addresses the holdouts. They say, I'm only half a man, but what does that make the lot of you? He managed to shame them by suggesting that they are less than a dwarf if they refuse to fight the enemies. Within a few moments, twice as many men respond to Tyrion's orders. He announces, You won't hear me shout out Joffrey's name. You won't hear me yell out Casterly Rock either. This is your city, Stannis means to sack, and that is your gate he's bringing down. So come with me and kill the son of a bitch. Tyrion unshields his axe and trots towards the sally point. He thinks the men are following him, but he doesn't dare to look around and check whether they really do. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. Let's go. Uh, yeah, so some crazy things. I want to point out just a couple uh, little nuggets here as as we dive into to, to all of this. So in the beginning, like they're looking at the wildfire, and I thought it was really interesting that this is the second book. And you have Aegon the Conqueror referenced and the field of fire. And I was like, oh, shoot. You know, like George is thinking about that. He goes back and he writes his other books, his companion books later. And he says, yeah, what was the field of fire? Let me just let me talk about that a little bit. And and he he, he goes on. So that's interesting in world building. And you think about those little nuggets that that are thrown in there that we as the reader go, huh, what was that like? I wonder. And Tyrion was a student uh, of Aegon the Conqueror and dragon fire and, and such, which is interesting but as you said the last point of view chapter bad this one things are looking bad and they look bad later on it's just war i think it's this commentary on war and how how it just depend people die on both sides people are in peril um yeah what what are you gonna do uh, and we don't know the outcome we're also left in suspense we're sort of like wait what is happening here with i thought i thought Tyrion and his men i thought you know joffrey king's landing had this under control and here we are, they're losing their courage. Um, and Tyrion has to lead a freaking charge out there, which is which is insane. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Also, what a terrible I mean, Joffrey and the Antlermen. Yeah. Just freaking nuts. They it's a smart just, it's a smart it's a smart war tactic though. Uh fear, yeah. 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 But I mean it's just uh it's brutal. It's just crazy so i don't know anyways that's, that's what do you think another... what do you think the men what do you think the men of because remember so much of so much of what people are rallying behind stannis is people are rallying behind stannis because they a lot of it because of melisandre and they think well he's this lord of light and the god of fire mm -hmm. and then they're torched by wildfire yeah and that's not something and that's not something that's that they really talk about in the books that it's because because you you just you just sort yeah. of shift through it but i mean if you're a follower of stannis and then you're seeing men torched by fire and you're this sort of belief of hey we're we're supposed to be we're supposed to have the lord of light right the lord of fire behind us you, you know i mean that 
And then, and then you think about that, right? Well, it because this sort of then we see with Danny on the on the flip side that people follow Danny because she literally walks through fire. I mean, yeah. that's they're like, oh my god, she's the real deal. I mean, yeah, yeah. So I'll say this: Melisandre cannot see into the wildfire flames. She can't see through that type of flame. I don't know what it. I don't know what it means. Uh, that. That is kind of interesting. It's ironic, right? That they are defeated by wildfire and flames themselves. Like they're burned. Right. Their ships are burned. And it's a burning river too. You know, even though you'd think they're protected by water and such, wildfire, the chain's up and yeah, there's no no getting away from it. Did she... Okay, uh, here, here, here's kind of a what if. Like if Melisandre does come with them, what does, you know, like, like what's the big... Uh, they wanted right. to leave her behind right. because, but like, what would she have done in a special reading in the flames? Like, because the flames can go with you, right? She can take them on the on the boat and she can look into the flames and say, all right, yeah, now I see more clearly what's happening right in front of me. Uh, was she back on Dragonstone or whatever, looking at the flames saying, well, I could have helped you, but she didn't bring me with, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what good she, she could have done there. Like, it's, it's crazy. They also hint right. at. I love seeing the flip side of this, where in the last chapter we saw Davos was talking about if I could just scout ahead, and why didn't they commit all of their ships? Why did they leave a lot of their ships back? Tyrion says here they wouldn't have fell for the trap had he sent any fewer than what he did. Joffrey's not happy about sacrificing those ships, but it was important to bait them all the way into the bay so they could lift the chain and and destroy them. Um, So that's interesting. You get the oxen, you get the whole bit. Uh, where Braun is making sure, you know, it's a massive freaking chain and you got the oxen pulling the chain up and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, but I think the wildfire is, you know, interesting. The, um, the pyromancers freaking one, man, they're, they're more powerful than, than this red priestess. So, (laughs) right. You know what, you know, you know who else, you know, somebody did predict it. Under the sea, smoke rises and bubbles. The flame burns green and blue and black. Wait, I know, you, I know, I oh, know, oh, oh. I know. The crazy thing is, too, like there's this almost a connection in wording where Tyrion says, "I will lead it." Patchface later on says, "I will lead it." <laughs> you know, like remember that when he was like into the sea, like the battle right. at Winterfell, like, and he's this, you know, I don't know. This is kind of funny. I thought of him when you were thinking, when you were saying yeah. that quote. Yeah, it is. It, it is interesting. And again, I think, you know, one of the reasons to, t- to view this, because this it, in the books, right, we get we get these these events told through us through multiple people's eyes. And we all and I think I think that is what is ultimately interesting. You know, the shows you can zoom around and you can show different people. And that's that's another cool way of sort of doing it. But I always find it interesting. The people that George specifically chooses to be the tellers of these big events, right? You get it. We start with Davos and now run Tyrion and then we move to Sansa. Um, And so because it's told to us in a book, we don't see actually as much as you see in the TV show. Because in the TV show, you can just, you know, you can zoom around and you can show like, you know, here's a handful of guards fighting somebody else that's never mentioned in the, in the show, in the book, but it just sort of adds to the context of it. Like if you go through the battle, um, at the wall, we see a lot of that. You see a lot of people fighting that it's never mentioned, but we know that there's fighting going on around us. So here, I mean, you would 
it's so interesting to go into this Tyrion chapter because as you're leaving the Davos chapter, you should almost go into this Tyrion chapter if you're reading this for the first time thinking it's over. I mean, it's it's done, right? I mean, yeah. like Tyrion just Tyrion just destroyed their entire fleet. But now we start off and oh no. Mm-hmm. Stannis is Stannis is still probably going to take the city. Yeah. So that 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 immediate that immediate shift that George this is what makes him such a great author is you leave the Davos chapter thinking it's done. Tyrion Tyrion totally won and then we're in this Tyrion chapter and somehow we're loot it feels like we're losing. It's like what what is going on? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, one and of the things that's so great, right? Right. Yeah, it is. It's 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 the uh, the ebb and flow of it. It's it's sort of taking us on this on this ride where we're like, yeah, um, seems like Tyrion has everything in order, and then he's left to kind of lead this charge. You know, um, the Hound. So let's talk. So since why is Tyrion left to kind of lead all of this? Joffrey can't be in in too much peril. Uh, Osmond Kettleblack's got to get him out of there. The Hound is afraid. It is. It dawns on him that you know he basically tells Tyrion to F off in this chapter because he's out. I mean, he's yeah. just like with the, with the wildfire and everything, he's gone. And, uh, it really is that this could have been a really bad moment. Like e- even if they, you know, penetrate the gate here and they get into it to a certain degree, they could have gotten hostages. You know what I mean? They could have gotten some, their hands on some pretty important people, which would have made things a little bit stickier. Um, when the Tyrells and Tywin show up, you know what I mean? That would have been probably an issue. So yeah, we're lucky that Tyrion, well, lucky. It depends on which side of this battle you're on, right? I mean, if you're supporting the one true King Stannis Baratheon, uh, I, I would say, uh, you're, you're not liking how this, um, you know, ended up going, but Tyrion does a good job. And, and I think a lot of people like him and we're happy to see him lead this charge. Did you, so, I'm trying to do a little bit of research here as as we're looking at this and, and reading through this. Um, so, Mandon Moore, the Kingsguard, who attempts to mm-hmm. kill Tyrion, um, and I could this 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 could be call it, call it what you want to call it. Um, another Sir the Unwatchful moment, if you want to. But is it ever really explicitly stated who hired him to kill Tyrion? It's it, Tyrion suspects Cersei. Um, Ooh, that's a good like question. Littlefinger is is heavily hinted at with the dagger type of relationship. You know, he, Tyr, does Tyrion know about the dagger that that type of thing? Um, and then, yeah, because it's just sort of um, trying to th- you know other motivations. Like, why is one of the Kingsguard? It's hard to kind of turn a Kingsguard. You would think you know against to kill a member of the. Uh, like the hand right so yeah so mandon moore actually he's kind of a character man it's like he's one of these characters you don't see very much so you kind of forget about him um let's let me let me pull him up here so mandon moore right he is he's actually there right i think he's there when vardis egan dies isn't he right um he's because he's from the he's from the veil yeah uh, Sir Manning came from the Vale of Aaron and is familiar with Sir Vardis Egan. Um, a Clash of Kings, uh, Tyrion won. Um, he was brought to the King's Landing by the hand of the King, Lord John Aaron, and King Robert I Baratheon, uh, named Mandon to the King's Guard. Uh, that's 
That's sort of his. That's sort of his history. He's there when Barris and Selmy leaves. Um, right. And that's kind of. There's not really a whole lot to it. Uh, he's on. The, let's see. He's standing outside. Remember when Tyrion? Um, when remember when uh, when Bronn is standing there? Bronn and Timmet, right? When they almost when they yes. almost kill the 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 guards the uh that cersei sends um right because cersei orders not to be refused whatever um they eventually allow Tyrion to pass he's among the escort party that sees marcella baratheon off so really he's he's more so just sort of there like he's described as he's described as being there and it's not until we don't really get a lot of him actually he's just one of these characters that's sort of there and then he dies so Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it's ever specifically stated. Right. So uh, I think in the show, and this is, I'm just looking this up on some of the forums and stuff there. It, Joffrey is the one in the show who is claims, you know, a key base. It, it's revealed that he just, I don't really remember the show that well, but I guess that he was behind right. that. Um, but in the book, Tyrion is thinking Cersei. Um, but a lot of people believe it was, it's really clear that she, never thinks about it um, at all in any of her Tyrion paranoia. Like when she thinks about why Tyrion would be after her children and trying to kill, it never comes up in her point of view as like some, a thought that like, Oh, I shouldn't you know, I was behind the assassination attempt and that was why, you know, Tyrion is now after her and her children and things like that. So uh, some people think he acted on his own. Um, so, so that's interesting. Uh, some so think- right, okay. So here, here we go. So, um, uh, Clash of Kings, a Clash of Kings, Chapter Three, Tyrion One. Uh, Jamie had once told him that Moore was the most dangerous of the Kingsguard, except himself, uh, because he he his face gave no hint as to what he might do next. And then, of course, um, in the next Tyrion chapter is when he will sort of attack him, right? Um, Tyrion rode down an archer, opened a spearman from shoulder to armpit, glanced a blow off a swordfish crested helm. At the ram, his big red uh, reared, but the black stallion leapt the obstacle smoothly, and Sir Mandon flashed past him, death in snow-white silk. His sword sheared off limbs, cracked heads, broke shields asunder, though a few enough of the enemy had made it to the river and the shields attacked. And then... You know, the, then Tyrion ends up getting hit, uh, and then the next thing we see, um, what is this? This is Tyrion, a storm of swords, chapter four. Uh, what do you know of Sir Mandon Moore? Tyrion to Bronn, and Bronn says, "I know he's bloody well drowned." Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Let me let me. I don't even think one. we know. I don't even think we know how he. I don't even think we know how he dies, do we? Yeah, just that uh, pod, just pod. Oh pushing. no, Podrick. Yeah, but but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a little different. I think in the show he actually stabs him. I think, and he more just shoves him. And I don't think it's in the show. I don't think. I, I don't even. I I don't think it's Mandon Moore that hits him. I think it's um, oh god, the other Kingsguard, the one that um, how am I blanking on his name? Uh, who's the one that the Hound says is a total loser that Arya kills? Marin Trent. No, I think it's Marin Trant in the show who who hits him. Uh, I can't remember the show very well, but let me read while you're looking that up. Let me read this uh, to you guys. So uh, there is someone has a theory that it was Joffrey. 
uh, and that George had given us clues that it's hidden very well. And um, this is this is during Tyrion's trial. Sir Osmond Kettleblack, a vision of chivalry in immaculate scale armor and white wool cloak, swore that King Dro King Joffrey had long known that his uncle Tyrion meant to murder him. It was the day they gave me the white cloak, my lords, he told the judges. That brave boy said to me, good Sir Osmond, guard me well, for my uncle loves me not. He means to be uh, king in my place. That was more than Tyrion could stomach. Liar. He took two steps forward before the gold cloaks dragged him back. Now, I'm going to keep reading here. This, is, this isn't some of their commentary. Uh, but is Sir Osmond lying or is George misdirecting us here? Tyrion certainly can't know firsthand um, as even Joffrey wouldn't be stupid enough to say this in Tyrion's presence. Who else is lying at this trial? Everyone seems to be telling the truth except Meriwether, Shay, uh, and both of them have ulterior motives. Uh, let's see. Meriwether wants to integrate herself with Cersei. Shay um, has to deal with Cersei in her own way. Could Osmond Kettleblack be lying here? Probably not. The witnesses have to swear an oath to speak the truth. So this person's saying that like, this is probably something true, that uh, Osmond is not just making this up. Uh, here's a quote. Lord Hand, uh, Sir Adam began, after the High Septon swore him to speak only truth. And here is what Osmond's brother Osney said about lying to the High Septon in A Feast for Crows. I never lied to no High Septon before. I think you go to some hell for that. Uh, one of the bad ones. Cersei managed to persuade Osney to lie by sleeping... Uh, yeah, yeah, Cersei manages to persuade Osney to lie by sleeping with him, but Os Osmond's testimony at Tyrion's trial um, is worth that. Is it worth that kind of uh, persuasion? This is kind of falling apart here for me. So he basically, this person's saying that they think it's Joffrey and Joffrey, you know, because of some of what Sir Osmond Kettleblack is saying at a trial, that he is essentially saying he's telling it true that Joffrey really did believe Tyrion was going to try to kill him at some point. I don't know that I buy uh, that at all. So Joffrey is out for me. I don't think so. Um, yeah. And Cersei, not really. Littlefinger, is is that possible? I don't know, Matt. I, I, this is what just kind of dawned on me. I'd never really thought about, you know, who, who hired him. And I went to go look, and I don't really know that it's stated anywhere ever explicit said okay so all right so i have i have how it, it goes down slightly differently in the show so first sir man and more i i don't think is ever named in the show at least what i'm just trying to sort of find here i thought it was um but in the show it is the same um you do see man and more actually almost a little bit more than you might in the book to be entirely honest um he's just he's just with other king's guard he shows up a few times mm -hmm. um uh in the, this is the show here that, that that we're talking again yeah he's he's with that group and so he goes to slash Tyrion, and but they're on like um in those in this they're just on like on like a beach when it, when it sort of happens and then in the in the book pod shoves him into the water and he ends up and he drowns here pod stabs him in the back with he stabs him in the back of the head with a spear yeah yeah yeah, yeah. also buddy i just as we're sitting if even when was watching the video version you saw i just totally i totally remember how this i think how this uh, yeah it's implied it's not like explicitly stated 
Here we go. This it just takes me a sec yeah. to remember these things. There's so, so much. He's, yeah, he's from the Vale. Va- Egan, uh, what's his name? Sir Vardis Sir Egan. Vardis Egan is killed by Braun. Tyrion was at that trial. Lysa doesn't like Tyrion. Remember, he gets away. Mm-hmm. Who does Lysa still have connections with at King's Landing? Littlefinger and um, more. Man and more. Yeah. yeah. So there it is. I totally. I was trying to remember like how that would be because yeah, it's not. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. That I, I don't know. If that's. It's, that's not like stated anywhere, but in my in my head space, that's 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 where we're going with it. So. Yeah, yeah. See, in, in the in the show and season three, when- if you're a woman over forty dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Which is a storm, which, well, yeah, season three is where you start some of the Sword of Swords content. Um, Tyrion asked Cersei whether or not she ordered uh sir manda to kill him on the blackwater she refuses to reply and Tyrion suspects that it was it was it was joffrey and that's kind of it so in the show we don't know in the books it could totally be somebody else it actually would be a lot cooler if it was yeah lisa right or or something or or something like that but i believe that is sort of the that that is that is sort of the uh the reasoning behind it yeah, makes a lot more because like Tyrion's always insulting Littlefinger. Um, he's insulted Lysa. Uh, he's he's troublesome. He's very smart. And if you're Littlefinger, you don't want a guy like that in and around any of this business. And all he has to do is plant the idea in Joffrey's mind, or uh, he himself just has to kind of like, you know, stir up uh, Sir Mandon Moore and talk about you know Tyrion, you know, killing maybe one of his buddies. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, there's 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 so much to unpack under this. And so I'm, I'm um, early early here in this chapter. There's a total another there's another thing we should we should sort of uh, reference here. Um, so this is right at the beginning. Um, a dozen great fires raged under the city walls where cask of burning pitch had exploded. But the wildfire reduced them to no more than candles in a burning house. Their orange and scarlet pennons fluttering insignificantly against the jade holocaust. The low clouds caught in the color of Low clouds caught the color of the burning river and roofed the sky in shades of shifting green. Eerily beautiful. First of all, before I read the next line, George R. R. Martin is a savant in writing yeah, that description. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, that's amazing. Um, a terrible beauty, like dragonfire. Tyrion wondered if Aegon the Conqueror had felt that felt like this as he flew above the field of fire. Uh, then it sort of shifts and goes back to him seeing the thing. But this is another one of these. Is Tyrion a Targaryen? You know Tyrion lines, and so many people are fond of that theory. So I would, I thought I would bring that up because that is that is just another one of those tiny little hints uh, towards towards that pretty popular theory. Yeah, yeah. The fact that he, the fascination with, like I said earlier, just him knowing that and having that feeling in that moment about Aegon and dragons and fire, right. and yeah. Cool. It's how it's how it's how George does it. He he layers in this, and so often we, you know, the, the funny thing is a lot of these theories, like the Tyrion Targaryen theory, is one that we 
it makes sense, but I think you and I are both on the like the eh, I don't I don't really buy into that one as much. But for the people who do believe it, it's no different than every time we look at an R plus L equals J thought that's like one tiny little line like buried yeah. in all this stuff. And we say, oh, George is so smart. Look how he does it. Well, you got to you got to bring it up and you got to reference it because that's it's only fair to, to to give it to the other theories that I we don't think we can't. You know, I can't sit here and say, well, look how great he is for layering in this little Liana line, you know, and then use it to dismiss another theory later right i you know the interesting so it, pointed out i think that's only fair it's only fair for sure i and i we don't buy it as much but at the same time when people say to me you know when you read some of these theories about you know Tyrion and uh you know the the beef between tywin and the mad king well you know i mean does he does he take advantage of his wife at some point i don't you know maybe uh He's got the miscolored eyes. He's got the dragon dreams. Uh, it's who knows, but yeah, good mm -hmm. point out though. And you know, we'll see more. We'll make more of those connections as we, as we go along because he does have a lot of fascination with dragons. He has all through game of Thrones. Like when he comes in and he's talking just about like, he's, I think more so he's fascinated by magic and mysterious things. And just I, like dragons are interesting. He's read a lot about them as a young boy, but, you know, he's still, even with wildfire and stuff like that, I think he's, he often talks about the fact that he is a dwarf and that, like, you look for what would make him give him power, like knowledge and wisdom and understanding of right. maybe magical abilities and stuff, you know, might have fascinated him as a young boy, so... Right. Yeah. Um, you see, here, here we have Joffrey complaining about his ships... Uh, one of the differences, I think the show sort of makes Joffrey seem a little more scared uh, during this whole event, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to here where he's here. Here, Joffrey's worried about his ships getting destroyed and everyone else is like, uh, I think we're going to die. Right. <laughs> and mm -hmm. here, Joffrey yeah. is worried about his ships. So that 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 is uh, another another kind of difference there. Um, Joffrey doesn't in, in the book seem to be as concerned about losing even though Tyrion thinks, hey, we still might lose. Right. Yeah, he yeah, he almost goes away kinda. He's he's happy just to go to the catapults and to do his thing. He's like in a good mood. Uh just almost oblivious to really what's what's going on. So Right. But do you think Tyrion is a good battle commander here? Do you think his his plan of hey even though even though I mean it's war, you have to sort of sacrifice men, especially in this, but He's obviously had a huge win with the wildfire and the chain. But, uh, I mean, here he's, does he have the right people in the right spots? I mean, you'd have to think that even, even without you using wildfire, there'd be a lot of fire and that would scare the hound. Yeah. I still, I think it was the extra bit though, that it was wildfire. I don't, I just, not something he thought I still having the hound there is, yeah, the hound should be able to do this job. I don't think he, you know, could have foresaw that the hound was going to freak out and, and run away, you know, but I think he does a good job. Also, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience, you know, like this is not really, he had to kind of come his, his thing is more um, playing that game of Thrones, like setting up the alliances with, with Dorne and, and doing things like that and checking on the food supply and making sure things are good. And then he, then you throw in the fact that he had to, 
thought of the chain and he sees what his sister's doing with the wildfire and says, yeah, let's magnify that plan. So it's a lot to do in a short amount of time. So I think he did do a good job, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I, I do think he does a good job of playing the game of Thrones here while everything is going on. He's trying to manage this thing. He literally has to get a step stool so he can see above like the, you know, uh, above, mm-hmm. above, above the walls because he's so short when he's talking with Joffrey because Joffrey wants to use the trebuchets to throw right the the dead men over. He's still saying, you know, yes, your grace, your mother promised you you can do that. You can, you know, so like just mm-hmm. that's the way he's talking to Joffrey during all this. He's still playing. He's still playing the Game of Thrones. Yeah, which is crazy because you know that and that, the whole problem that Tywin has when he comes in eventually is not really with Tyrion. Um, well, I mean, just the fact that he brought, you know, Shay, that'll be later on, but, but with Cersei in the way that Joffrey has kind of, you can't rule him. He's unruly. He's, he's not listening. She's supposed to be the regent. Like you don't just on a whim, go do whatever the King says or wants or, or what have you. I think it was, um, who was it? Jamie talks about this later with the King's guard. He scolds them for like taking orders from uh, Cersei and from the king and so on. And it's just sort of like, you guys are, you know, think we're here to protect the king uh, from himself and from any of the world. Ultimately, the king's survival is, is, is our duty. Uh, so he mentions that later on that, you know, it's kind of an issue. Joffrey's the main problem here. Cersei can't. Right. You know. Right. So yeah. So here we go. So he's gonna go throw the man, and, and Tyrion saying, "I want, I want stones being thrown from those trebuchets. A wildfire is not gonna burn forever." Um, we go a little bit further here. Joffrey hurried off happily, escorted by Sir Marin, um, but Tyrion caught Sir Osmond by the wrist before he could follow. Whatever happens, keep him safe and keep him there. Is that understood? As you command, Sir Osmond smiled amiably. Smiling night as the smiling freaking night. God, Sir Osmond's everywhere. You know, I I like doing the little care the character profiles because you stop for a second and you look at reoccurring words and themes around them. And I haven't done enough of them to really um, get more out of it. But like, there's things with um, Lady uh, Merryweather that that are very interesting. There are things these these individuals at court that surround Cersei that have been in King's Landing. You have so many people coming in and out, and you have big figures moving in like. Tyrion and Eddard Stark in the beginning and Sansa that you lose track of some of these other players and how they're connected to uh, Littlefinger really actually uh, and Cersei and whose loyalties lie where it's crazy it's this intricate crazy web I'm sure George has some master file somewhere where it's like their true loyalty is here but they're playing a loyalty here they're pretending to be this person's guy or whatever and it's crazy so. Yeah. Um, okay. So as we move along a little bit here, uh, the next the next sort of big event that happens is uh, Stannis has more men. They're coming through the tourney grounds, and Tyrion's saying, "Okay, who's who's commanding this sort of group, uh, and um, who commands here?" No, a shadow detached itself from the shadow of the wall. Uh, to become a tall man in dark gray armor. Sandor Gain wrenched off his helm with both hands and let it fall to the ground. The steel was scorched and dented. The left ear of the snarling hound sheared off. A gash above one eye had sent a wash of blood down across the hound's old burned scars, making uh, half his face. 
Yes, Tyrion faced him. Clegane, uh, Breath came ragged. Bugger that and you. A sellsword stepped up beside him. We've been out three times. Half our men are killed or hurt. Wildfire bursting all around us. Horses screaming like men and men like horses. Did you think we hired you to fight an attorney? Shall I bring you a nice iced milk and a bowl of raspberries? No. Then get on your fucking horse. You too, dog. <laughs> wow. The blood on Clegane's face glistened red, but his eyes shadowed, shadowed white. He drew his longsword. He's afraid, Tyrion realized. Shocked. The hound is frightened. He tried to explain their need. They've taken a ram to the gate. You can hear them. We need to disperse them. Open the gates. When they rush inside, surround them and kill them. The hound thrust the point of his longsword into the ground and lead upon the pommel. I've lost half my men, horse as well. I'm not taking more into that fire. Sir Mandon Moore moved to Tyrion's side, immaculate in his enameled white plate. The king's hand commands you. Uh, bugger the king's hand where the hound's face was not sticky with blood. It was pale as milk. Someone bring me a drink. Uh, this is when he gets water. Yeah, fuck your water. Bring me wine. He's dead on his feet. Tyrion can see it now. The wound, the fire, he's done. I need to find someone else. But who? Sir Mandon. He looked uh, at the man and knew it would not do. And this is where Tyrion ultimately decides he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to be the one, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the hound here... The hound's lost half of the hound's lost his ear and he's and he's dealing with and he's dealing with the fire. Uh and then you have Sir Mandon here. And you know, the interesting thing is it, it, the way we view this, if you look at the the comparisons here, you have the hound who's in like black armor, his face is sort of right, uh, you know, mangled and burned, and he's lost his ear, he's bleeding, and the hound who does sort of leave his post here will go on to be somebody that we end up rooting for. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, you have Sir Mandon Moore here who stands up next to Tyrion immaculate in his white armor. Right. And you think mm -hmm. this like, Oh, he's a sort of pure figure. And then he is the one who actually ends up betraying Tyrion and trying to kill him. Yeah. That yeah, parallel George does. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it is actually crazy. So, um, and yeah, and part of that is is he. I think he wants to push them out into this conflict where, when you're outside the walls, Mandon Moore, this is, you know, who could? There's where he can, you know, one, he gets some fighting in. You get some some honor or whatever. You win some glory by going out and taking on the enemy. And in the in the in the you know craziness of the, of the battle, Tyrion ends up dead. He gets a big bunch of money from whoever, and and there we go. But you're right. The Hound is literally standing there. It's weird with the hound, you know. He's, you know, he can take on anybody, anything. We now learn that fire super kind of scares him. He is, um, I don't. He's just real. Like he is, he, he's he, a lot of times he says to like even Tyrion early on in the Game of Thrones chapter, he says something to him about his tongue and how like that's going to get him in trouble. Like he plays the game. Like Sandor knows how to play the game with Joffrey. He's his hound. But then he knows how to tell Tyrion, like, that that's going to get you killed one day. You know what I mean? So the, the Hound's just, yeah. a re he's a realist. He's like, this is this is not good. We're, we're not good here. This is, and, you know, so he, so he runs, ducks tails, and gets out of there. I say good for him. All right. right. You're good for him too, right? <laughs> the king, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with him. 
Um, okay, so uh after that we pretty much get to we get to Tyrion's to Tyrion's speech right um which is uh slight it's slight it's slightly different in 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 the in the show and and, and the book but it, it pretty much it pretty much is is the same um they say I'm half a man what does that make the lot of you that shamed them well enough a knight mounted helmetless and rode to join the others a pair of cell swords followed then more the king's gate shuddered again and in a few moments the size of Tyrion's command had doubled um, he had them trapped. If I fight, they must do the same, or they are less than dwarfs. You won't hear me shout Joffrey's name. You won't hear me yell for Casterly Rock, whatever this. We're going to come down here and kill the son of a bitch. Tyrion unsheets his axe, wheeled the stallion around, and trotted towards the Sallyport. He thought they were fighting, but he never dared to look. Um, in the show, Tyrion's speech uh, is pretty much the same, but I, I, think, I think I kind of like the show speech a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, he says... I think it's also because we get to see the actor and you get to hear the music and it's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, they say I'm half a man, but what does that make a lot of you? There's another way out. I'm going to show you come up behind them and if in their asses, don't fight for your King. Don't fight for his kingdoms. Don't fight for honor. Don't fight for glory. Don't fight for riches because you won't get any. This is your city. Stannis means to sack. That's your gate. He's ramming. And if he gets in, it will be your house as he burns. Your gold he steals, your women he will rape. Those are brave men knocking at our door. Let's go kill them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. It's like a, there's and an I, element of like the and show. And I think, right, I think that episode is one because that's early. I think that's one of the ones Gur wrote. I'm going to go, I'm going to go look at that, but I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the episodes that he that he wrote. So it's kind of cool if it is. And he was a lot more involved in those early seasons. So maybe he gets a chance to sort of. Like you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna spice this up a bit. You know, I can look at what I did. And I think I, I think I can spice this up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's eh, just kind of um, it's a cool moment for Tyrion, and I love that. Like the end there, it does say that you know he just goes into battle and he didn't look to see whether anybody was following him or not, but they're all kind of gonna be called cowards and. He knows how to kind of shame him into following him out there. So pretty crazy. Also, you see like Sir Mandon um, moving too, and you're like, oh, Kingsguard, you know, he's he's going, so we should probably roll too. Yep. Yeah, this episode was written. The the TV episode is written by George. This is one of the ones that he that he wrote. Nice. So I mean, kind of cool. He gets to he gets to take another stab at at, at Tyrion's speech. Yeah. That's cool. That is really cool. Now is now the real right. thing is: there anything we can pull from that, right? Does he say, you know, no. uh, when I get to when I get to Winds of Winter, Tyrion's going to be much more epic. So let me give him, let me make. I need to make Tyrion, I mean, like my favorite, this much more epic, right? Wow. Maybe, maybe we should go analyze all the episodes that George maybe. wrote and kind of compare them to, you know. There we've 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 done that a few times actually, and there yeah. are some pretty interesting. There are interesting tidbits because again, I think one of the ones that the other one that George wrote, I if I um, let me remember, but I think George wrote the line, uh, "What do we say to the God of Death? Not today." I think that oh, is yeah. one of the episodes that he did. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. It is. It is. It is. It is one of the episodes that he wrote. So that's kind of it. He, t I think, he gets to sort of take some of these moments that he had in the book, and I think he gets to mm -hmm. make them that much more cool. Yeah, I like it. It's awesome. 
Um, okay, well, as before, just before we move on, one of the things that I have found um, in sort of in, in Reddit commentary about this chapter is a lot of people think that Tyrion's because these are point of view, Tyrion sort of over emphasizes some of the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. And the biggest sort of challenge to some of these, some of the things that we see is they say, one, Sansa thinks that the hound kisses her. That's sort of their their reference, right? And so they say, you know, sometimes a sort of unreliable narrator. Uh, but some of the people think that uh, this and what ends up happening in the next chapter is hard to sort of quantify because Tyrion describes his horse as a stallion. Yeah. And they argue, like, how is how is Tyrion able to ride a stallion? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be like a pony? But Tyrion calls it a stallion rather than like a pony. Right. Yeah. Just sort of um, the the word choice. Does does that is that a clue from our author that says, hey, remember, these are points of view. And, you know, we could have a reliable or an unreliable narrator and keep that in mind. Sometimes they're telling the truth. Sometimes they're not. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's a good, it's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. As, uh, do we have a Raven today? Uh, yeah. So we just pulled up, um, kind of, uh, I was looking at our YouTube comments. We were trying to pull out a Raven and I literally saw a comment that was kind of hilarious. Shout out to lady Raj. Uh, I hope she's doing well. And so, someone, it was a video I had done with her, a, a collaboration as my squire. And they said, the dog barking, right? Can we get the dog barking to just <laughs> calm down? Oh, our dog. It's funny. Was I it's funny. I, I saw that I saw that YouTube comment when I logged in yeah to our, our YouTube uh, yesterday to, to we uploaded a video. Uh and I was like, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. And then I yeah. had to go click on it. It's like, oh, it's an episode. Yeah. 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 This is kind of funny. So in that, um, I thought if it was that episode or was a different one, but she had kind of brought up the idea of Lem, uh, Lemon Cloak, and his identity, and him being related to possibly one of um, Rhaegar's squires, and that was cool. I think their Lady Guinevere, or uh, from Radio Westeros, I think, d- did like a big write up on that, a big theory, and people mm-hmm. have taken it and kind of ran with it in another way, another direction. So I was looking into it, and I just kind of thought, um, does anybody have any other idea as to who? you know, he could be the, the idea behind Lem is that he has a cloak that looks like it's an old Kingsguard cloak, possibly that has just been stained yellow and looks like a lemon. And then people get into, okay, how are lemons significant in this story? You know how they do, sir, Matt, you know, is a lemon significant where the lemon trees grow, Danny, all this kind of stuff. So let me see if we can pull this up here real quick. Um, okay, so found a, a just kind of a, this is a 2019 actually, uh, post from a, a form of ice and fire. Uh, let's see here. Full credit. Frey Family Reunion is the username on this. So that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, they're posing the question though, could Lem, Lemon Cloak actually be Willem Rivers, uh, the bastard of Derry? So I'm just going to read it to you guys and see what you think and, and kind of kind of go from there. Lem Lemon Cloak is an interesting character. One, uh, on the one hand, there may not be anything overly significant about him, but for some reason, when you read chapters he appears in, 
uh, you come away feeling that there may be more to him than first meets the eye. I've heard the theory that he could be Richard Lawnmouth, uh, one of Rhaegar's former squires, and there is a lot to like about that theory. The one thing that struck me a bit off, though, is how rough around the edges Lem is. Maybe a little too rough around the edges to be a highborn lord who squired for Rhaegar. One theory occurred to me, and it grew um, from a feast of crows in a dance of dragons. Uh, it left off with the potential conflict that appears to be looming between the new inhabitants of Castle Derry and the Brotherhood Without Banners. But it all starts back in a clash of kings. So, quote, um, a more significant lordship by far was granted to Sir Lancel Lannister. Joffrey awarded him the lands, castle, and rights of House Derry, those um, or whose last child lord had perished during the fighting in the Riverlands, leaving no true-born heirs of lawful Derry blood, but only a bastard cousin. Uh, Gurm seems to enjoy setting up parallel scenarios occurring in different uh, locales in his story. So here we have a house whose lawful heir, or at least male heirs, are seemingly killed off in the war. An outsider then takes up rule in the house, but there, uh, but there being a known bastard claimant still in existence. Does that sound familiar? We don't get a real clear picture of the new dynamics of House Derry until Jamie chapters in um, Feast and Dance. This is where we meet Lancel's new wife. And it is, I forget how you say her name, uh, Amiria Frey, right? Lannister, she's a Frey. Mm -hmm. uh, but perhaps more interestingly, if we are in fact going to see some similarities between House Derry and, and um, House Winterfell, I think it was Stark, um, mm -hmm. Amiria's mother was a Frey slash Derry. Okay, here we go. Quote, you must forgive my daughter, said an older woman, Lady uh, Amiria had brought a score of phrase to dairy with her a sister an uncle a half uncle various cousins and her mother who had been born a dairy she still grieves for uh her father so here we have um here we have a lady mariah who may currently be a fray by marriage although uh we although we seem to have little grief over the death of her Frey husband, Merit Frey, but it should not be forgotten that she grew up as a child of Derry Castle. All right, now with her, uh, with her daughter as the, as the lady of House Derry, and with Lancel, who seems far more interested in his newly found faith, it seems fairly evident that the strong-willed and sharp-tongued. Mariah may end up being the true Lady of Derry, even if not in name. Uh, but of course, there still exists a bastard-born nephew of hers out there somewhere. So that's this is all kind of set up to Lancel taking over Castle Derry, marrying a Frey, and that Frey also being born a Derry and having been you know growing up at, at Derry Castle. And there's a bastard Derry out there somewhere. Uh, if this bastard-born cousin is going to have any significance, then it's going to come from a conflict with the current inhabitants of House Derry. 
the Lannisters and the Freys, and thus perhaps a conflict with Mariah and the daughter of House Derry. It's pretty clear that the main conflict with House Derry is going to come from the Brotherhood Without Banners. Quote, the nearby town of Saltpans had been savagely raided by a band of outlaws, and some of the survivors claimed a roaring brute in a hound's head and a hound's head helm was amongst the raiders. Supposedly, he killed a dozen men and raped a girl of 12. No doubt Lancel will be eager to hunt down uh, hunt down Cragen and Lord Barrack's Lord Barrack both to restore the king's peace to the Riverlands. He turned back to Lady Moriah. The outlaws who killed your husband, or the outlaw who killed your husband, was it Lord Barrack and his band? So we thought at first. Uh, though Lady Moriah's hair was streaked with gray, she was still a handsome woman. The peasants denied seeing them, but when questioned sharply, they sang a different song. They spoke of a one-eyed man and another who wore a yellow cloak and a woman cloaked and hooded. Uh, that was before he died, said young Sir Atwood Frey. Death changed him, the small folk say. You can kill him, but he won't stay dead. How do you fight a man like that? And there's the hound as well. He slew 20 men at Saltpans. Uh, so this is just a bunch of evidence that they're really outside, the, that basically the Brotherhood Without Banners, just, there's more quotes, I don't think I'm going to read them all, uh, where they're moving towards you know, uh, a big conflict here. So, and last we hear from uh, Strong Boar. He aims to make good on his promise and leaves River Run to return to House Derry for a fight, uh, specifically to look for the Hound. And we know who has taken the mantle of the Hound. Thoris snuck in uh, or sucked in his breath in dismay. Is this true? A dead man's helm. Have we fallen that low? A big man scouted him. It's good steel. There is nothing good about the helm, nor the men, uh, nor the man who wore it, said the Red Priest. Sandor Clegane was a man in torment uh, and Rorg a beast in human skin. I'm not them. Then why show the world their face? Savage, snarling, twisted. Is that who you would be, Lem? Uh, so the stage is set. Strongbor acting as a champion of Mariah, a daughter of house, a daughter of Derry, who had returned to bring the house back from the ashes, even if it is with the help of the agents of its destruction set to crash against the hound, who is now Lem Lemoncloak wearing its head slash helm. Uh, so it wouldn't be much, much. So wouldn't it be much sweeter if it turns out that this conflict might also be setting up the daughter of Derry against the bastard of Derry, and that's really where I kind of want to leave that. So the whole idea is that this, you're presenting another idea as to who Lem Lemoncloak could be, and that he's from House Derry. He's a bastard of their house. He's going back, and he may, he may actually. Um, you know, it's kind of a like a sub story. My problem with it, Sir Matt, is that it doesn't matter much. You know what I mean? Right? right. I mean, like, like what the reason that that the other theory or the other idea that he is one of Rhaegar's squires matters and why that is significant. If you're Rhaegar's squire, you can tell us a crap ton. There is there's so much more that you could tell us and that you could share. And I just don't know what the bastard of dairy would offer in terms of like significance to the story or reveal a secret or whatever. Right. Cause I like the idea that his cloak is stained and that he could have a different idea and we don't really know who he is. And he's old enough to be right. a player back during that time period. 
Well, even even Lem Lemoncloak, right? You know, if we're saying he is this bastard of dairy, uh, there is a there is a line where it's unknown that if Lem is actually even his his real name, right? right? Tom Seven Streams says that you know that that might not actually even be his name. And uh, just to quickly point out, if it does set up some sort of conflict with the Hound, right, which is something that may end up happening in the TV show, it is the Hound who kills Lem Lemoncloak. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that's cool. He makes he makes that. like one brief appear. He makes like one sort of brief appearance, but he is named as Lem Lemoncloak in the show. I don't. I can't remember if he actually says like his name, but remember it's the episode where the Hound is with that sort of group. Um, that's got uh, got Ian McK- uh, not Ian, uh, whatever his name is. Um, mm-hmm. the guy who plays Al Swearingen in Deadwood. Uh, where he's he's staying he's staying with them, which I think was their way of sort of doing the grave digger thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, we don't really know what to do with this, so we'll kind of do that episode. And then he, he ends up he ends up killing the people who who destroyed that, but they were with the Brotherhood without banners, but they were sort of on their own because then he meets up with, uh. God, uh, your favorite character, Barris, uh, Barrett, Barrett, Dendarian, Barrett, right? Yeah, yeah. He ends up meeting with Bar- Barrett, right? Yeah. And then I think he, I think that's whose boots he steals. Remember, he, they hang him, and then the and then the hound steals his boots. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's kind of it. So it's it's kind of a short scene, but that that is something interesting to take away if we are going to go into sort some sort of conflict with the hound. That's that's what happens with the show. Yeah. So that's cool. And the one other point that I'll give this theory, and I didn't even read the whole thing. I just kind of wanted to set up the idea behind the idea that you'd have the bastard of dairy versus lady, um, you know, former lady dairy. Uh, There is. So the abbreviation, so LEM, L-E-M, right? Uh, The user tries to make the point that LEM could be abbreviated from a, a formal name, Willem. So we know Willem dairy right mm. was who who yeah. led uh danny mm. out willem dairy would be kind of like a senior uncle or whatever to the bastard of dairy so whoever that bastard of dairy is um there's some bit of there's there's your connection because you, you look at like lemons the connection from um Will, willem dairy takes danny to the red door where there were the lemon trees right or whatever that was something in her past or what have you uh and she thinks of him fondly and then now you have this guy who's wearing a lemon cloak who his name could be abbreviated. He could be, you yeah, sometimes in the same family, you have multiple Brandons, you have multiple, um, you know, people with the same name, whatever, uh, Brandon one, Brandon two, so on, whatever. So this could be a Willem from house dairy who is like, you know, just took the same name as, as his, um, you know, uncle or whatever. Right. Yeah. So. If you look at if, Yeah, exactly. Even if you want to go down that route too, that he could just be a, a dairy, not necessarily Will, um, Willem dairy. There's also Lyman dairy that could almost work like Lem, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not the same as obviously Willem's probably the way you're going to go. Yeah. If you do, if it is some sort of abbreviation and the fact that his, that Tom seven strings doesn't say that if that's his actual name or not, that does get, cause us to sort of question his, his name. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's that's interesting that's interesting yeah so and there's more there's obviously we, we don't and we don't have any sort of we don't have any sort of birth dates to sort of question anything do we there's no, there's I, no sort of i the, you get descriptions of like the like a streak i'm of looking birth. i'm i'm not seeing anything yeah yeah, yeah. um 
Yeah. So I, as I said earlier, maybe like being a squire of Rhaegar obviously is, is a bigger deal. But if he did know some secret about House Dairy and the relationship with, you know, the Targaryens and then Danny and lemons and lemon trees and lemon cloaks, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's another spot to kind of go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, just wanted to throw it out there. I mean, if, no, if that's, folks, it is it. Yeah. Yeah, if, if folks, yeah, it's, it's cool, interesting theory. I've never, I, I have not thought about that very much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, cool, cool. All right, as well, uh, guys, that is it for us today. Glad to be back. Um, as and I are already starting to plan out our next Zoom hangout for our patrons. We'll come up with a more specific time once we sort of get that dialed in. But uh, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing chapter 61. I think it's a Sansa chat. It's I know it's a Sansa chapter. I don't have the exact mm-hmm. uh, title pulled up here, but it is a Sansa chapter of A Clash of Kings. Yeah, absolutely. If you like our podcast, uh, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write that review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We will see you in a week. And remember that winter is coming. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.